So this is the next in the string of talks I'm doing about the power of telling the stories of God's word, uh, word of mouth. And maybe you've noticed that basically I'm covering like the who, what, when, where, why, and how of this of this whole concept, eh? And so today I'm going to hit the why, which is going to be a little bit of a review, but I'm also going to give you some new information with that that I held back from you previously. And uh, we're going to look at the what. We're going to look at what is a story, um, what happens when you tell a story, and uh, what does a story tell you. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, here are five big reasons to get back to telling the stories from God's word, word of mouth. Uh, you remember how I already explained to you how that was how originally the stories of the Torah were communicated. And not just for a couple hundred years, but literally for like 2,500 years or so until Moses wrote down the Torah. So, just it's, it's that whole restoration thing. Uh, you remember... In Matthew chapter 17, Yeshua was coming down from the mountain where he was like, his appearance was just changed before his disciples and they saw him shining with light and they heard the Father's voice saying, this is my son, Shema to his voice, listen to him. And they were coming down and the disciples were putting some things together in their minds. They're realizing, this guy is the Mashiach, he's the Messiah. And then they started thinking, wait a minute, but the scribes say that Elijah has to come before the Messiah comes. So where, where is Elijah? What, what, what's going on here? And they asked the master about that. And the master said something really interesting. He said, Elijah is coming and will restore everything. And Elijah came and they did to him whatever they wanted. So it was like a double take. He, on the one hand, he was saying, yes, Yochanan the Immerser, he came in that function. But on the other hand, Elijah is coming and there will be a restoration that he accomplishes. Uh, you may also remember in um, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, uh, when they were, they were speaking to one of the crowds at the temple, and, and they said, um, like, repent, and uh, so that times of refreshing may come from the Master's presence, and that he may send um, the Messiah who has been appointed to you for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, which all the prophets spoke about. You remember that, eh? So you, you hear that from Yeshua, and then you also hear that from his apostles. This concept that before the Messiah returns, there's going to be a great restoration. And here's the question. What has to happen before something can be restored? It has to be lost? Or it has to be something that you have fallen away from so that you can be restored to it. This kind of concept. Uh, this, this is the grid through which I, I look at church history. I, I see how in every generation, God has come and He has raised up men and women to be a voice for Him, to restore to His people that which was lost. Biblical doctrine, biblical practice. Uh, and guess what? That isn't over yet. It ain't over yet. The restoration is still happening. I believe that is why we are, we are awakening as, as disciples of Yeshua. I believe that is why we are coming back to the covenants of God. We're returning to some of these elements that were in the, uh, in, shall we say, the early church and that we lost, like celebrating festivals like Passover, observing Yom Kippur, uh, Shabbat. These are just a couple little examples, eh? And, and, just, um, and just understanding so many of these things. So, like, I believe that we exist as a community because Yeshua said a long time ago that restoration must happen. 
And I believe that we're here today because He is restoring us as a people. So the big question is, what have we fallen away from as a people? What have we lost along the way? Because that is what He's going to bring us back to. That is what He is going to restore us to. And uh, guess what? That doesn't just mean doctrine. That doesn't just mean what we think in our heads. That means how we do life, our lifestyles, how we gather as a community, what we do when we gather as a community. <laughs> That's why we're here on Shabbat, right? So that this, um, this is a really big theme, the restoration theme, eh? And so let me ask you, if, if part of the way the Torah was originally communicated was, was telling the stories... Do you think maybe that's something we've lost over time? Do you think that might be something that Yeshua is restoring to us as His people? And uh, like a couple of you have shared with me recently, you, you really you feel like um, maybe you're hungry just to hear more Torah teaching from me, you know, and to hear more about Jewish roots. And I, I'm hearing on you on that. I'm, I'm, I'm praying about what we can do about that. But I also want to kind of go there, like have you go there with me and think about the bigger picture. This is Torah. Like when we learn to tell the stories from God's Word, that is Torah. Because how was the Torah originally told? In families, in tribes, in the nation. That's how it was told, eh? So just kind of, let's, let's think about the bigger picture of Torah here, if you, if you know what I'm saying. I'll give you another example. Is celebrating Passover part of Torah? Of course it is, right? What do we do when we get together for Passover? What's the main act that we engage in? Nope. Eating. Just kidding. It's not just about getting together to eat. That's right. It's about telling the story of the Exodus. Can you hear that? So if we don't know how to tell a good story to our children and to the people in our community, how are we going to do the Torah? How can we really get into the spirit of the law? How can we really celebrate Pesach? I mean, yeah, you can read the Exodus account from a book, and that's good. But what about telling the story to your kids and to your grandkids and to people like that, eh? So can, can, you, can you see how that would be one more example of telling the stories from God's Word is, is actually part of Torah. And so far I've more talked about the what of this and the why of it, right? I, I am going to get into some nuts and bolts in the next couple of weeks about how, how, do you, how do you learn how to tell, tell stories from God's Word to your kids or to friends and that kind of thing, you know? For some of us it's like, I've never done that, that's kind of, I don't think I could do that. And you know, when we look at it in a really simple way, I think we may discover that, yeah, we, we can do it um, when we just look at some simple how-tos. But that's, that's just an example for you from, um, from, from the Torah with, with Passover. Do you guys remember what it's called when you tell the story of the Exodus over the Passover supper? Yeah, what is it called in Hebrew? That's right, it's the Haggadah. Everybody say Haggadah. Yeah, and the, the, the root of that just means to tell. It's the concept of telling a story, right? So what do we do at the Seder? We, we do the Haggadah. We tell the story. Um, actually, this is kind of cool. There's another word in Hebrew called Agadah. Say Agadah. And we're going to get back to that in, in just a second. So just hold that word in your mind. Haggadah, Agadah. Okay? Okay, so that's the number, that's the first reason. Simply because that is Torah. That is how the Torah was communicated. We need to be able to tell stories to be able to do stuff like Passover. Uh, number two reason is discipleship. Discipleship to Yeshua is all about imitating Him, following His example. And actually, this is kind of interesting. Discipleship is a very Jewish thing. Jewish people invented discipleship, basically. 
The whole concept of following a rabbi around, learning his teachings, um, memorizing his, his, the, his very words, retelling his parables and stories, um, trying to look as much like him as you can, all that kind of stuff, that's, um, that's a Jewish institution. The rabbi-talmid relationship is a Jewish institution. Right? And uh, that's something that Yeshua has invited every one of us into. It's the relationship that he invites every one of us into. Just kind of neat. You know, very often you hear people say, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. And that's true. But you have to ask what kind of relationship, eh? Like it's not just a casual dating relationship. It's not just kind of one of those uh, really loosey-goosey kind of, I'm just here because it feels good relationships. It's a, it's a rabbi-disciple relationship, eh? And that's, that's a Jewish thing. Now, here's where telling the stories from God's Word fits into that. Yeshua told stories. He told really good stories, actually. In fact, He told stories that drew crowds, that made crowds think, what is He talking about here? Made them go home talking about it in the car while they drove home. Okay, maybe they didn't have cars, maybe on the donkey or whatever, eh? But that's something that a rabbi did. Um, In Mark chapter 4, Verses 33 to 34, it says, With many such parables, everybody say parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he didn't speak to them without a parable. Did you hear that? Yeshua always told stories. If you went and heard the Master, you could, you could guarantee one thing, he's going to be telling stories. Parables. But he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. So did you hear that? It wasn't just that Yeshua always told stories, only told stories. There was also those, those intimate conversations where he privately explained things to his disciples. So uh, I, I think for anyone who teaches the Word, that's probably a good thing for all of us. You know, Yes, we want to be solid theologically. Yes, we want to delve into the, the, the deep passages. But we want to be balanced. We also want to be able to tell a good story, tell his stories, just like Yeshua did, right? So can you hear the balance there, right? Not only this, not only that, but being like Yeshua and doing both. So that's, that's something important to me. Now I've been talking a lot about telling the stories from God's Word because this is an area where I personally have been very weak. And maybe we as a community have even been a bit weak. Um, that's why since May, basically, I've just been primarily telling stories from God's Word because, again, this is an area where I've been really weak and I, I'm trying to kind of throw myself to the other side of the boat and, and, and get some balance here, right? Learn how to do this thing. So in case you guys are ever wondering if you're just going to hear some, just some good old old school Bible teaching from me. Yes, I, you, you haven't heard the last of good old school Bible teaching from me, right? But I'm just, this is, this is a season in my journey as a teacher where I'm learning to tell the stories from God's Word. So I, I really appreciate your patience with me on that. And uh, just your tracking with me on that. Thank you, guys. Um, thank you. So here's, here's the interesting thing. Um, this whole concept of a rabbi telling stories, uh, parables, was that something Yeshua just made up? Now... Yeah, that's right. That was that was a very common way of teaching. Rabbis would tell stories. They would make they would make up parables to help people understand concepts, to embody a concept. Um, there's actually that's a specific genre of Jewish literature. Do you know what that genre of Jewish literature is? Rabbis telling stories. Rabbis making parables. I told you the word already. Actually, yes, that's right. It is agadah. So the telling of the Passover story is the Haggadah. 
just telling stories, parables, that kind of thing, in Jewish literature is called Agadah. So you would, you would call that um, agadic literature, is generally what that would be called. Eh? So if you, if you read something like the Midrash or the Talmud, you'll see Agadah quite, quite frequently, especially if you're reading Midrash. Midrash is almost entirely, there's a lot of Agadah in there, right? Agadic literature. And this was something that, this was, this was a way of communicating that Yeshua employed. Not all the time, but when he had a mixed audience, when he had groups with lots of kids, when he had people who were maybe agnostic or a little skeptical, he resorted more to telling stories, simple stories. It's interesting, isn't it? And then when he just had his inner circle, and these guys were hardcore, and these guys were devoted, and these guys were on a higher understanding level, then he went deeper with them. Right? So, yeah. And then, of course, um, just along those lines of discipleship to Yeshua. Um, how... How were the stories in the Gospels originally communicated for a couple decades? They weren't written down. People didn't read them from the written down Gospels, right? For a couple, like 20 or 30 years, the apostles just lived with communities, traveled around, and told these stories word of mouth. They probably had them memorized. And then guess what would happen? The people who heard their stories would do what? They would retell them, that's right. So, again, can you hear this whole restoration theme here? I, I believe that this is something that we've lost as the body of Messiah. Um, we, we read our Bibles, and that's good. We, we go to congregation, and we hear someone teaching from the Bible, and that's good. But when it comes to this, this idea of telling the stories about Yeshua, when it comes to this idea of Agadah, this very Jewish way of communicating, I think it's something we've lost. And so I think, you know, if, if we are part of the Messianic Jewish community, if we are part of the Hebrew Roots movement, guess what? Learning to tell the stories from God's word, word of mouth, is probably going to be part of the deal. And uh, honestly, you guys, I think we're actually very cutting edge right now with this, because this is an area where we as the people of God need to be restored. Because it's something we've lost touch with, eh? And so, maybe if you were to travel around and visit different Messianic Jewish congregations or Hebrew Roots fellowships, you'd be like, you know, there isn't a lot of this happening. I don't know about this, Izzy. I, I would suggest to you, within the next five or ten years, this is going to go really big. This will go viral. Because, why? Because it's part of restoration. And Yeshua said that he's going to see to it that, uh, that restoration happens. So, look for, look for that. kind of growing on, you know, one night after the next night. And he summarized by giving their testimony that for a couple years now, the way they've been doing their prayer meetings is they meet together, and he explained how they did their prayer, and he said, and they take turns telling a story from the Bible. And he, and he was expounding exactly on what you're sharing. So I went to him after and I said, that is exactly what it, what you know the congregation here is is going through and stuff. And I mentioned to him about how I interacted with Megan and you know trying to get her to interact with her friends and stuff too. And he said that is so cool. Yeah. But the Lord just showed him in a dream that that's how he was to minister the word. And yeah. he gave different testimonies of how you know. Um, a businessman came to just a simple fellow in their congregation wanted him to come to their biz his business and lead prayer meetings there. Well, I can't do. Well, just do you know? And all he did is he went and he told one of the Bible stories and, and 
that's what they're doing. They've been mm. doing it a couple of years now. Hmm. Wow. And, and uh, Yeshua like told him in a dream to, to take that direction. Eh? That's really neat. Yeah. And I mean, it, I, I've heard quite a few accounts like that. Like, I, I believe this is something. You know how Yeshua said, like, if you have ears, ears uh, hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to his congregations. I, I think this is something he's saying, like, because I've been hearing this from all over the place too. Eh? Just so you guys know. Yeah. That's that's a very encouraging story. Thank you. Yeah. So so you know just just to sum up that. Oh yeah. One other thing about that, like. Yeshua was attractive to certain kinds of people that the Pharisees weren't attractive to. Like tax collectors, prostitutes, like sinners and, and, and those kinds of people that really weren't part of the religious community. For some reason, they were drawn to Yeshua. Like they liked him. They were attracted to him and his teaching. And I've wondered, why why was that? And I kind of wonder if maybe that wasn't part of it. Maybe just for once they could understand him, like the guy. Maybe Maybe they were like, I can actually understand him. He talks on a level that I get. You know, he tells stories that makes me think or that I can relate to. I don't know. Maybe the Pharisees talked on such an advanced level with people. Maybe they just kind of lost some people because they just couldn't understand it, you know? I can't say for sure, but I just, I wonder if there isn't a connection there. So that's, that's the second why. Uh, just be, we are disciples of Yeshua. We're imitating him. And uh, this is part of Jewish discipleship, eh? So I just, I, I, I hope you guys can kind of see that, you know, when we, when we talk about Torah, when we look at the big picture of Torah, this is actually part of Torah. You know, when we look at Jewish roots, this is actually part of Jewish roots. Is it all of Jewish roots or all of Torah? No. But maybe it's an area where we haven't had as much teaching, or we haven't been, we haven't um, had as much practice, so hence this series, right? So I'm not going to be going on with this forever, right? I just want you guys to know that. But it's, it's, it's something that I, I believe Yeshua is inviting us to, and that he wants to restore to his people. Um, couple more reasons. You remember the little blue people and what they had to teach us? That's right. We had the ten little blue people and we learned that half of the people in North America don't read. And if you're just talking about males, two-thirds of males in North America just don't read. And two-thirds of the global population don't read. So if we, if we learn to tell word-of-mouth stories we'll be able to engage the 50% of people in North America and 66% of people worldwide who are functionally illiterate and can only be reached through word of most stories. That's a huge niche. Do you realize what a huge niche market that is? It's like the body of Christ, the church, is everyone's kind of scrambling for a certain set of the population and it's only half the population of North America and the other half primarily are just getting ignored. So, I mean, if you were, if you were like a business person, you'd be like, that's a massive open market. Let's focus on that market, right? So, that's, that's one way to look at it. Um, here is some information that I held back from you guys about that. In India, this is, this is a true story with true statistics. In India, there were 50 non-literate people. Alright? These people who were believers. And they worked for 2.7 years. And in those 2.7 years of working full-time for the kingdom, shall we say, those 50 non-literate people made 815 disciples and started 22 churches or or communities. Alright? So 50 non-literate people took 2.7 years to make 815 disciples and start 22 communities. Some people came to these people, um, some teachers, and they, they, they taught them the concept of telling the stories from God's word, word of mouth. Because guess what? Non-literacy in India is huge, even more than it is here. So after they, they took these 50 people, 
And they taught them this, and they taught them 85 stories from God's Word to tell. They were probably like the big main stories, right? They, set, they, 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 they unleashed these 50 people, and in one year, those 50 people made 9,122 disciples and started 370 churches. Uh, this is true. So here, here you have this set of 50 people. Before they learned to tell the stories from God's Word, in 2.7 years they made 815 disciples and started 22 churches. After they learned to tell 85 stories from God's Word, they were given that tool and unleashed. It took them one year to make 9,122 disciples and start 370 churches. So can you, can you, can you hear the power in that? Wow. You know what it makes me think? It makes me think this is something that could really help us as disciples to become more effective in accomplishing our mission. It could make us more dangerous for the kingdom. Maybe this is something Satan doesn't want us to be doing. Maybe this is an idea Satan doesn't want us to get a hold of and run with. Why? Because maybe we'll start becoming even more uh, fruitful for the Master. eh? So anyway, that's a little uh, suspicion that I have. Um, so that's the third reason we can reach a ton of people that we're not reaching right now. A uh, fourth reason, we covered this. Remember uh, the novel? Where I tore a bunch of pages out of context so it wasn't coherent? Remember the, the sticky notes? That little, the little illustration that didn't really work, but we had a lot of fun with it? So that, the fourth reason is basically that. Um, it'll be coherent and it'll stick. right? So when we start telling his stories word of mouth, people start actually remembering what you told them. Um, There's a a Southern Baptist pastor, Avery Willis, and he said, people remembered my stories far better than my preaching points. It's kind of a humiliating, maybe, not a humiliating, but it's a little bit humbling for a pastor to say that. People couldn't, and I think, you know, I think that's true quite often. If you have a bunch of preaching points, people often can't remember them. How many of you guys have experienced that? Let's say I have three points, let's say I have 20 or 30 points, like I sometimes do when I'm just, like, expositing the, the, the scriptures. If I ask you the next week, how many of those can you remember? Maybe not many, eh? But if I ask you, like, do you remember the story I told last week and what was the point? My guess is you may be able to remember that better. So anyway, that's, that's, um, that's reason number four. And then, um, reason number five is what we talked about just this last Shabbat. Anyone can tell a story from God's Word, and stories from God's Word do make a difference. Uh, remember, remember the three analogies that we looked at from His Word about that? Um, Telling stories from his word is like snow and rain. It always goes down and does what it was sent to do. Uh, telling his stories are, is like a sword that just cuts through the clutter that often will go under the radar and, 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 or, or chop through people's barricades and it'll touch their hearts with his love and with, what he has to, with, with who he is. And then finally, um, telling stories from his word is like uh, seeds. You just sprinkle them out there. It's something anybody can do if they can buy seeds and sprinkle them on the ground. And some of those go deep, and they uh, they make a difference. So that that's the why. Those are the those are like some of the main whys of why we would learn to do this, right? I'm going to look at three questions here. What is a story? What happens when you tell a story? And what does the story tell you? Um, and I want to give a little disclaimer here. Like, obviously, guys, when I'm when I'm talking about telling stories, I'm not just talking about little, like nursery rhymes, Little Red Riding Hood, or oh, whatever, right? I, I'm talking about telling the true stories of, from the Word of God. So this is His Word we're talking about here, not just us making stuff up, right? Just want to be really, really clear on that. So, like, just, just, um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, let's just think technically for a moment here. I, I broke down what a basic, what a story is composed of into six main elements. And I even alliterated them all. You guys are going to love me for this. I alliterated them all to the letter C. Alright, so this is how I would see it. A story has a commencement. Every story starts, right? A story has a context. That's where it happened. A story has characters. A story has a chronology of action. A story has conversation. And a story has conclusion. Right? So I'm just gonna, I, I'm gonna give you an example of this, okay? This is, this is like, this is what most stories go like, if you wanted to sum it up. Once upon a time, in a land far away, these people didn't said these things. The end. That's your rough story framework, right? And here, just think about that. Those six elements that I just listed, kind of technical terms, that's what you have in a story. Once upon a time. That's the commencement. And the, uh, and then in a land far away, that's the context. These people, the characters, didn't said these things. That's right. Chronology of action and conversation. The end. <laughs> the conclusion. <laughs> What's that? And there was conversation. Oh, yes, sorry. Con yes, chronology of action and conversation. I kind of clumped those two together with did and said these things. <laughs> so, you know, just, just, to, just keep that in mind though. You know, that can often, if you want to tell a story from his word, that's a really good little template to use. Once upon a time, in a land far away, these people did and said these things. The end. <laughs> so, that's basically what a story is, if you want to look at it on a simple level and also with some technical alliterated terms. Uh, what do stories tell us? Stories answer people's five biggest questions. These are, these are like the five biggest questions that I think we as human beings think about, ponder, uh, wrestle with, and try and come up with answers for. Where did we come from? Why are we here? What is good and bad? Where are we going, specifically in the afterlife? And how are we going to get there? Those are, those are the five big questions that people wrestle with and that most religions and philosophies try to answer. Where did we come from? Why are we here? What's good and bad? Where are we going? Especially like in the afterlife, after people die, where do they go? And how are they going to get there? What's the why? Um, why are we here? It's the second one, yeah. Now, if you, um, I, I would encourage you, watch for these big questions. Um, if, you, if you ever like watch a popular film or some kind of movie or, or read a book that really grabs people, listen for, those, listen for the answers that pop culture tells people. Because pop culture does tell people answers to these things. Often it's not like in your face. It's, it's, it's suggested through the story. It's interwoven. It's kind of almost assumed. And it's, it's very often in answer to these questions. Um, guess what's cool? We have a collection of books that were written by people that were inspired by God to write them the truth, the scriptures, and it answers all these questions. And, and quite frankly, I think it answers these questions in a much more intelligent and rational and like coherent way than most of the world religions and philosophies out there. Um, sociologists, they have, a, they have a term
term for these stories that tackle like the big questions, they call them myths. And you know, for most people, when you hear the word myth, you think, oh, something that isn't true. That's a myth. Eh, that's just a silly fable. That's, that's a falsehood. But um, it, it, sociologists use the word myth not in that sense. They just use it in the sense of like a big story that tries to answer one of the big questions. Um, what would be some examples? Evolution is a myth, to use that, that sociological term. Um, the, the notion that we, here in North America, live on the back of a giant turtle, that we live on Turtle Island, you know, that's, that's a kind of a classic North America, um, what would you like, First Nations uh, idea. I'm not sure if a lot of people believe that anymore, but that used to be the common explanation. Um, that would be a myth, right? It explains, uh, like, some of those, some of those things. And then, um, also, like, from a sociologist's point of view, the idea that we were created by Yahweh, that is a myth. Not in the sense of not being true, but in the sense of being a big story that answers some of those big questions that people have. So, basically, that is, that is what a story tells people. It answers those five big questions. And I'll give you a really practical little homework assignment if you want. Uh, remember those questions? Because they're actually, like, if you have a decent friendship with somebody and you're able to talk quite frankly, those are good things to ask people what they think. What do you think about how we got here? What do you think about why we're here? What do you think about what's good and bad? What is good and bad? Uh, what do you think about where people go in the afterlife? What do you think about how they get there? Those are, those are some, those are some good questions. And you know, you don't maybe just strike up a conversation with the person on the bus next to you that you've never met before with those. But on the other hand, sometimes, you know what, you can go there pretty fast with people. And most people do have some idea. And mo most people like sharing what they think about stuff too. If they sense that this is an open and accepting conversation. So that's a little assignment for you. If you ever want to ask people about those questions. And then, um, Finally, the last, uh, the last thing we're going to look at here is what happens when you tell a story? What happens when you hear a story? What, what, happens, what happens to kids? Have you, ever, have you ever seen children when they're listening to a story, when their parents are telling them a story? Maybe you remember when you were young and your parents told you a story. What happened inside of you while that story was going on? Yeah, you become part of it. You're wondering what the next step is. You ask questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it lets you use your imagination. Yeah, you identify with someone in the story even unconsciously. <laughs> I can relate to that. When when I was in my teens, I loved reading um, Western novels by an author named Louis L'Amour. He wrote he wrote great Western novels. They were pretty clean, and they always had heroes. They were generally six foot two or three, and they weighed two hundred and twenty pounds or more. And they were like they were just kind of like old school. Um, honorable cowboy kind of guys. Eh? And I love those stories. And looking back, I think I love them so much because I wanted to be those guys. They were like my heroes. So, I, you know, looking back, it's basically like, when I would read one of those stories, I would become the hero. I would become that, that guy. And I was a little depressed for a little bit when I grew up and realized I never hit six foot two and I never hit the 220 pound mark. So I always wanted to be after reading all those Louis the Moore stories. But, you know, I, I got over that. Yeah, so that, that's, that's a great, that's a great point there. I can totally relate to that one. So basically, like that, that answers the question right there. What, what, what does, what does a story do when you hear a good story? Or sometimes when you're telling a good story, it's like you just, you get sucked into it. You like, you get lost in, in it. You become a part of it. You, you often like lose track of time. Have any of you noticed that? When you really get into a good story, you lose all track of time. 
it's amazing. It's almost like you step out of the dimensions of space and time for, for, for uh, whatever, an hour or a couple hours. And then all of a sudden the story is over and you realize, oh, wow, where, where did the time go? <laughs> um, I'm not sure if many, have any of you heard, here um, heard Adventures in Odyssey, the, the tape series? Oh, okay, yeah. Well, I grew up listening to a lot. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Genevieve, Genevieve listens to Adventures in Odyssey with Tirza sometimes. I grew up listening to Adventures in Odyssey. It's put on by Focus on the Family. And it's like great stories about these kids that live in a town called Odyssey in the States and all of these situations they get into and adventures they have and, and those kinds of things. And this was interesting. Um, originally, Adventures in Odyssey was just audio cassette tapes. If you can remember those days. I used to get like the audio cassettes and just pop them in my tape player and my Walkman. And I remember I got a set once for Christmas and I binged on them. I just went into a side bedroom at my grandparents' farm where we were and I just listened through the whole thing in one shot. Like I was gone for the rest of the day, right? It's this, that, that kind of idea. I was just lost in these stories. But when, when Focus on the Family put out of like a movie of Adventures in Odyssey, it actually didn't get a very good reception. And the reason was, everybody had imagined what Adventures in Odyssey was like. And they had it all very clearly imagined in their mind. And then they come up with this Adventures in Odyssey, our cartoon, and it's like, no, that's not what Wit looks like. That is not what Connie looks like. That's not what Eugene looks like. And, and it didn't go over very well, eh? And I think that's a great example of what happens in a story. When you hear a story, you see it. It engages your imagination. You become part of that story. And uh, sometimes it's even better almost than... You almost don't want to see the movie after you've read the book. Because, you know, people will say, the, the, the movie just wrecked it. The movie just... It's not the way I imagined it in my mind, eh? So can you hear that with a story? And you know what? I, I experienced that just yesterday at our house. Because uh, we had some people over. And um, Genevieve told a story about Yeshua. And the way she told it was a way so that we could imagine that we were right there, that we were walking with Yeshua and his disciples through the grain field. There were the grumpy Pharisees. And, uh, and there was Yeshua having that conversation with them. And it was like I was right there. It was like I was watching Yeshua. It, like, I don't know if I've ever experienced that before, but I felt like I experienced his presence so clearly through the story. And so for me personally, my experience there, it wasn't even so much the content of the story, like what the Pharisees were saying, and what Yeshua was saying about, you know, someone greater than the temple has come, and some of these technical conversations about, about Shabbat Minusha. That wasn't even what really got me. What really got me is I felt like I was right there with Yeshua. I felt like I saw something of Him. It's like I experienced His presence as Genevieve retold something from God's Word. So that's, that's a personal experience of mine. I think I was going to share that with you, Genevieve, and then I think it slipped my mind, but that, that was really neat, like for me, because it was like, it was, it was a simple story, right? And it was kind of like some technical stuff about Shabbat. I think it went over some people's heads in the room. But you know what? We were there with Yeshua in the story, and we saw Yeshua, because that's what happens when we get into the Word of God, and when the, when, when, when the Spirit takes us there, eh? So anyway, I was very encouraged by that experience yesterday. You're welcome for sharing that. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a brain researcher, Dr. Karim Nader. He discovered that when, when you feel strongly about something, when you experience something in your life and there's strong emotion there, 
um, your adrenals literally release molecules that are etched into your brain. So that whenever you go back to that event in your mind, whenever you are rem reminded of it, you feel that emotion again. Have you ever experienced that? Something from your past, maybe like a moment of real triumph, or maybe a moment of real trauma. And maybe you felt like sheer joy and exhilaration, or maybe you felt fear. And when you go back to that experience in your mind, you feel it right, right, right over again. That, that, and, and that is something that this brain researcher has, has identified. That is a physical thing that happens in the brain. Your adrenals, when you feel strong emotion, release those molecules and they etch it right into your brain. And so you can go back and you can feel that emotion again for, for better or worse, really. Eh? So guess what? When you tell a story and people find themselves in the story and they relate to someone in the story, guess what happens? It's no longer just something in their heads that goes in one ear and out the other. It's something that they become emotionally involved with. They feel the story. And guess what? They will not forget it. Because on a technical level, their adrenals released molecules that were literally etched into their brains for the rest of their lives. And whenever they hear that story, they will feel that again. Wow, eh? Um, here's one more interesting thing about how we, how we are built physiologically. When we feel something like that, there's a chemical called peptides. Everybody say peptides. Yeah, there's a chemical called peptides that are released by your brain and your organs into your body and they take time to dissipate. So if you, let's say that you, you see a great movie and you are so into the movie and you are feeling the movie, guess what happens after the movie ends and the credits start to roll? You're still there. You still feel those things. The peptides that are released by your brain and your organs, they take time to dissipate. So it's like you're still living there for a while after the story is done being told or after the movie is over. It's very, it's very interesting. So just to say that there's a big difference between you just engage someone on a, on a head level and when you engage them on a heart level and they relate to the story, they identify with someone in the story, when their emotions are, are involved. Yeah. So um, those, are, those are some simple insights for us about uh, what a story is on a, on a, on a very basic level, um, what a story tells or attempts to tell, especially like big, shall we say, mythic stories, and then also what happens inside of us on a physical and a mental level when we hear a story, when we get into a story. So um, next Shabbat, God willing, I want to talk a bit about who... Um, can relate to stories, who uh, can tell a story, and we're going to talk about some kind of rubber meets the road how stuff. I think, that's, I, I think it's going to be a really useful tool for us in, in um, teaching God's word to children, grandchildren, uh, discipling new believers and uh, not so new believers, and I, I'm really excited about that. Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.